last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. Man, hey, how about that superstar running back, though, that's still on the roster, Zach Zenner? What are we doing with him? No. And passing yards? Passing yards is cherry-picking? Passing yards? You're cherry-picking Tom Brady's completion percentage in 2005. Kapow! And he didn't even know we were going to request Piano Man. This fucking guy's diabolical. Nice harmonica, asshole. Eat shit, other dads. And that trap door had been set. It was yet another trap door. It was good. We had the Bengals and we had the Jaguars. (laughs) I love that you're not even trying to say it wrong. That's just how you say it. And. Have you compared Derek Carr's first two seasons to Fran Tarkington's first two seasons? Because they're strikingly similar. I think we agree on this. Derek Carr is on a Sammy Baugh trajectory. (laughs) Okay, I'm going. I'm out of here. I'm not going to do this anymore. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as always, is Mr. Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. And tonight, oh, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, uh-huh. we've got a big fish for you tonight. We brought on the man himself, Evan Silva, co-host of the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast with Ross Tucker, which you can find on iTunes, and the overseer of all that is great at Roto World. You can find yes. him on Twitter at Evan Silva. Evan, what is up? What's up, Nate? What's up, Matt? I've uh, been a listener for the last two years. I mean, since you guys started it, love the show, um, love the edginess, and I'm privileged to be to be on it with you guys. Have you guys ever had a guest before on this particular sh- on the Sonic Truth podcast? Jacob Rickroad has come on That's the show, right. and That's Carl right. Safchik. So we've had a couple guests. Yeah, yeah. Nathan Powell came on the show once, but that's about it. We don't have many guests on the show, but I can tell you that you're the guy that Nate has been pushing for to have on the show. When are we getting Evan Silva? When are we getting Evan Silva? And I'm like, relax. She's going to come on the show. Don't worry. So I feel like I'm playing matchmaker here, getting you and Nate in the same room together. And you guys back and forth are classic. I mean, I feel like you guys reached a a breaking point with the, the Dante Foreman podcast and things have kind of settled down a little bit from Ah. there you know it would get testy on air between you two but it seems like you know you guys are back in a good good place and hopefully you guys will stay there going forward we've unified against a familiar foe or two in the last few weeks i think that's what's happened and we're stronger for it (laughs) things can't Things can't be too good for too long. That's typical on this show. Well, yeah, we'll unify, we'll lampoon somebody for whatever takes they had, or, you know, we've, we've had these beefs. I don't even know if you call them beefs. 
And then eventually oh, things, oh, things people have been, on Twitter would absolutely consider those beefs. Oh yeah, we've been lectured, but things get too good for too long, and then there has to be sort of a teardown process to rebuild the relationship. So we just went through a mini one. I think we had a little debate, and and Matt got torched by the fans of Oakland for it, and that might come up in this episode. But again, Evan, glad to have you on tonight. Uh, Matt clearly made it sound like I've been fanboying over you, and that may be true, but. I'm glad you're on here, and we've got some stuff we want to get into. Matt, you want to lead off with the first thing? Right. I think you're also a Benjamin Albright fanboy. <laughs> Absolutely. Benjamin Albright's quarterback analysis is second to none. And Benjamin Albright is reporting, in quotes, reporting, that the Broncos are unhappy with C.J. Anderson, and he could be a cut candidate. But I'm not reading anything about this on Roto World. <laughs> Can you explain this, Evan Silva? So when we're making decisions about what is going to go onto the Roto World Player News page, we generally limit the media outlets that we use as sources to team beat writers, whether it be from team websites or newspapers, and national media outlets like ESPN, NFL Network, and USA Today. I know that Albright has broken some news in the past, and I think he works in Denver and likely has some connections there with the team, and I wouldn't doubt that what he's hearing about C.J. Anderson is true. I mean, I think that the the context of what he was speaking about was in in, in regard to C.J. Anderson's conditioning, which has been a problem in the past. But, you know, Ben Albright, I, I think he does good work. I think he has some really good data on quarterbacks that Nate probably likes. But he's never been someone that we've used as a source for player news blurbs on Roto World. Right. You don't use local radio blowhards as – source material for Roto World blurbs, and I would agree with that. But if it's negative sentiments about C.J. Anderson, then I want them shared with the world. (laughs) That's the problem. (laughs) Right? I mean, we launched Uh, this show with a firestorm of anti-C.J. Anderson analysis touting Devontae Booker last year, and that didn't go that well. Is there anyone in this Denver backfield we should be excited about, Evan? Uh, No. Uh, Our our, uh, strength of schedule analyst, uh, Warren Sharp, actually evaluated or identified the Broncos with the toughest schedule in the NFL this year. Uh, I think that they're going to be playing from behind a lot. They didn't. I don't think that they solved their run-blocking problems on the offensive line. Uh, Vance Joseph, their new head coach, has uh, sounded pretty committed to using a committee backfield this year. I think it's just one of the situations where if you're going to buy someone, you buy the cheapest one. And that would be Devontae Booker, who everyone has written off, who, by the way, played really well in the first half of last season uh, and then just kind of right. lost steam over the course of his rookie year. Uh, or D'Angelo Henderson, the six-round pick, who, by the way, I've been in rookie drafts, and this dude will not even get drafted. Which is weird. At times, in rookie drafts, which is, which is absurd because he's Coastal Carolina's all-time leading rusher. He's pretty athletic uh, relative to this running back class. And... There's very little long-term clarity in the Broncos' backfield with C.J. Anderson being on a year-to-year deal. Jamal Jamal Charles has zero guaranteed money on his deal. And Devontae Booker, although he played well in the first half of last season, uh, he struggled mightily when uh, thrown into that feature-back role. So D'Angelo Henderson is very interesting long-term. I think Devontae Booker is is pretty interesting 
uh, short term, especially at their uh, respective prices. Right. So no Jamal Charles, no C.J. Anderson. I'm with you. I don't own any Jamal Charles or any C.J. Anderson in any Dynasty League teams. Do you, Nate? I mean, have you seen Jamal Charles' knee? Did you see his knee? I'm not a doctor, but the pictures of the knee (laughs) do not look good. It doesn't look like a knee, actually. It looks like an enlarged elbow. It's very strange. I don't want anything to do with whatever that body part is that's not actually a knee. We've been talking a lot on this show about rookie players because this is a Dynasty League podcast and pretty much we only talk about rookies most weeks. And the wide receiver we've talked about the most could be Taewon Taylor. And we were treated to a Roto World blurb about Taewon Taylor recently that was incredibly exciting. This notion that he's usurping Corey Davis has been floated by Jim Wyatt, one of the beat reporters for the Tennessee Titans. This could be interesting. Am I wrong? Well, I think that what Jim Wyatt said was that Taewon Taylor could end up with more targets than Corey Davis. Um, I mean, right? I mean, right? I mean, I think it's an indication that Taewon Taylor is coming along quickly. And that, and uh, But I, I think that it goes back to the dilemma of trying to rely on beat writers for statistical projections. Jim Wyatt has long been one of the best team reporters in the business. He wrote for the Nashville Tennessean for years. Then he was hired to cover the team through the team's website. And he has a long history of knowing the Titans inside and out. But I don't think he's, I would doubt that he has ever made real statistical projections about the team in the way that someone like Mike Clay does. And I don't think that we should be changing our statistical projections based on what Jim Wyatt is saying about target shares. I mean, I can tell you for sure that Rich Rebar, who does the Roto World Draft Guide stat projections, you know, Reeves is not out here making stat tweaks based on what Jim Wyatt writes. And that's obviously with all due respect to Jim Wyatt, who we undoubtedly have a lot of respect for because he knows the Titans better than anyone else, but he doesn't necessarily do uh, statistical projections for the Titans. And if he, and if he's giving us statistical projections, I don't, I don't think that that that's worth a whole lot. Right. This is the guy that claimed Tajay Sharp would be the team leader in targets and receptions and receiving yards last season. That did not happen. It was Rashard Matthews. But this year he does have an appreciation for Rashard Matthews in the same piece he speculated that Rashard Matthews would receive more targets than Eric Decker, and I think we can all disagree with that. That's that's mm-hmm. really hard to believe. I mean, that stretches to the outer limits of plausibility that they would sign Eric Decker, one of the best receivers in the league, and he wouldn't usurp Rashard Matthews immediately. But I think we're seeing the bias of the beat reporter because they're seeing a player that was healthy from day one of minicamp, establishing rapport and carving out a role in minicamp and training camp versus a player that was coming off what most considered a, a, at least a moderate severity foot injury that Corey Davis suffered wasn't able to practice as much as Taewon Taylor. So, of course, in June, you're just not going to see Corey Davis getting the same number of opportunities on the practice field as Taewon Taylor. But I think if we go back and zoom out and look at the profiles, Corey Davis is the superior player and should be projected to score more fantasy points this year than Taewon Taylor. But I can still get excited because I drafted Taewon Taylor in the third round while players like Joe Williams were being drafted, who has the same athletic profile as D'Angelo Henderson, who was going undrafted. 
And to be fair, man, when you look at this roster, there are way too many options, including Corey Davis that's coming into it. But Marcus Mariota last year was 24th overall in pass attempts. And the two receivers that received the most targets, Delaney Walker and Rashard Matthews, 108 and 102 targets. There's not a lot of targets to go around. So even if you really love Taewon Taylor, what's the most you can expect from him? You know, dependent on where you're drafting him, Corey Davis should obviously end up the better receiver out of the two. But this isn't a team at this point. Point that's producing so much volume in the passing game that these guys are going to become irrelevant this year or even possibly next year. Yeah, Taewon Taylor needs an injury. On our seasonal rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings, we rank the top 100 wide receivers for redraft. Here's where I have Taewon Taylor ranked in the top 100 on redraft. Classic joke here. That's good. Every time. Works every time. <laughs> I, mean, I don't have it right. <laughs> it really works every time. This is coming from a guy who loves Taewon Taylor. My heart beats out of my chest with the thought of Taewon Taylor. And yet, and yet, still, nowhere to be found on the redraft ranking. Sorry, Taewon. Love you, buddy. I think Josh Norris actually likes Taewon Taylor better than you. But, or more than you. He does. We <laughs> talked about it, and he does like Taewon Taylor better than me because he's committed 100% to Taewon Taylor, his full heart and soul. I'm still conflicted between Taewon Taylor and Chris Godwin, who really owns my heart. So, for that reason, absolutely, number one fantasy fan of Taewon Taylor has to be Josh Norris. The biggest fantasy fan of Derek Carr has to be Nate Liss, based on last week's show. Evan, did you hear Nate Liss's impassioned defense of Derek Carr? I don't actually listen to what Nate Liss says on the shows. I just, I'm just always hoping that he uh, drops some, drop some nasty rhymes on his show. So, so good. I appreciate that so much. I thought your information was good last week. You compared Tom Brady's first three seasons to Derek Carr's first three seasons, and then the buzzards came swooping in on you. Mm. While the Raider fans were quick to dismiss my analysis and mock me incessantly, the fans of this show actually attacked Nate. One buzzard wrote in, Nate is dead wrong about early Tom Brady. Nate conveniently forgot and or didn't know that the NFL has changed during Tom Brady's career. Just ask Bill Polian. Hmm. <laughs> That's, ah, uh, uh, yes, the, the always popular different era of football argument. Here's a question. Do me a favor, though. Hey, ask. Hey, hey, man, it resonated with me. Okay, ask this buzzard. If Tom Brady's 60.5% completion percentage and 11 interceptions in 2013 counts as the same era as Derek Carr's production. Okay, actually have him on the line. I'm good. Conferencing him in Get right him now. We'll ask him to his face. We can't rehash this one, but he's doing the same stuff in this era. That's all you're going to say? Nothing else? That's all I need to say. I spent 20 minutes defending Derek Carr last week, and the buzzards are just buzzards. I know how they work. They'll be back next week. Evan, is Derek Carr elite? I'm still stuck on the just ask Bill Polian as if this guy has all the answers. Did you see the look on his face after the Browns made the trade for Brock Osweiler? If you just ask Bill Polian about 
the 2014 quarterback class, you would have thought that Landry Jones was worth a top five pick. If you just asked Ooh. Bill Polian about Tom Brady, <laughs> you would have believed that he actually had a first round grade on Tom Brady, yet somehow Tom Brady makes it to the sixth round. You know, so I mean, look, wow. Bill Bill Polian had a lot of success in the NFL. He had a lot of good players on his roster, but um, I don't think that he has all the answers. And this guy sounds like he's pretending like Bill Polian just is the you know the, he's the Godfather. When I read this buzzard tweet, I interpreted it as Bill Polian. The game has passed Bill Polian by. Not the Bill Polian's right. Right. Either way, you're avoiding the question, Evan. Is Derek Carr elite? Yes or no, Evan? I mean, I think that the trajectory has been upward every year. I think that right now he is um, an above average NFL quarterback who is on a really good team in a really good yes. situation. That's exactly my analysis. Thank you. We're moving on. Oh, you don't even let him finish. It sounded like he had a little more in the tank right there. Evan, come on. No, that's all we needed. That's all we needed. You know, that was exactly what we needed from Evan Silva. It's exactly what you need. Analysis that was in lockstep oh my God. with Matt Kelly's analysis last week. Classic. We need to move on to wide receiver pick em. This is the game of the day. Pick one, Evan. Chris Godwin or Mike Williams? Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> the long pause. Long pause. Because he doesn't want to draft Mike Williams. It's a very conflicting dichotomy. I totally get it. You don't want to not draft Mike Williams and then he hits either. It's a tough it's tough. Right. It's a tricky situation. For me, like two thousand the the incoming season is the most important season by far for for uh, dynasty rookie receivers. And I mean, I'm a little bit concerned that Mike Williams could be this year's Brashad Perryman or Kevin White or Laquan Treadwell or Josh Doxson as a first round rookie receiver who enters the league dealing with an injury that sets him back and then does little or nothing in his first year. And he's just burning a roster spot after you just drafted him. I don't know, where is he going, like 1.05 or 1.06? And even before the injury, you had to kind of shoehorn Williams into the Chargers offense from a stat projection standpoint. The Chargers are missing the second-fewest targets in the league from their 2016 roster, and that's even with Keenan Allen coming back after missing almost the entire season. Keenan Allen is signed long-term. Hunter Henry is signed long-term. Tyrell Williams is under control for the next two seasons. You know, I just I don't have much hope in the short term for Mike Williams. Chris Godwin at least is healthy right now, but I don't see him making a big rookie impact either. Uh, Godwin apparently only ran routes as a perimeter receiver at OTAs in minicamp, and that's where Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson play. So Godwin would essentially have to become a slot receiver to earn a significant early role and then beat out Adam Humphreys and potentially also Cameron Brait for playing time. <gasps> no! Who was one of the most productive slot tight ends in the league last season. I, he I, has to beat out Adam Humphreys, Evan? <laughs> I don't know. That's the hot button. I don't know. But he didn't play in the... I don't know. But it's a different position, Matt, Matt Kelly, and... And I realize that Matt hates Cameron Brait because of his pro day measurables. But I think that the Bucks coaching staff doesn't agree with Matt Kelly. And I think we'll see Brait lined up as the slot tight end slash receiver pretty often this year with OJ Howard as the Y tight end 
on the line of scrimmage. Last year, Cameron Brait led all NFL tight ends in touchdown catches with eight, and he scored six of those eight touchdowns as a slot receiver. So I really don't want either of them in the short term. I would probably still take Mike Williams over Chris Godwin in Dynasty, but I would rather just trade that rookie pick for a veteran who's already produced in the NFL. I mean, I really don't. It's hard for me to get excited about either of these guys, Matt. You do not think Chris Godwin can carve out a real role this year? This is disappointing, man. He can absolutely play the slot. Why not? The slot receiver position is not a difficult position to learn. You go and run a slant, or you fake the slant and run it out. That's it. End of tutorial for playing the slot. Really? Really? I mean, I I guess that uh, Dirk Cutter would definitely disagree with you. During the spring practices, he was not even being given the opportunity there. As we often discuss in fantasy, opportunity is king. So will he get the opportunity to play in the slot? I mean, if he gets that opportunity... He has the body type of a slot receiver. He's not one of these 6'3", 6'4", outside receiver monsters. He's 6'1", 210. He has that slot flanker body type. Anquan Bolden. Anquan Bolden, Pierre Garçon body type. That's the guy you want in the slot. Ideally, you have a slot receiver that looks like him because he's big enough to block on run plays as well on the perimeter. He's the ideal slot receiver for this iteration of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense, and I think they're playing him on the outside because it's much harder to learn that route tree. They want him to have experience against number one and number two corners on the outside, learning the more difficult route tree in case Deshaun Jackson or Mike Evans get hurt, knowing that they can slide him inside at will, and that's not a difficult route tree to learn. So we know that Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson are locked in in this offense, right? Right. So this will be a team to monitor very closely in terms of their preseason first-team usage. Who is playing on the first team? Is it Cameron Brait? Is it O.J. Howard? Is it Adam Humphreys? Is it Chris Godwin? And I agree. You know, Adam Levitan, which I, I, one thing I love about Adam Levitan is that he beats the drum for how preseason reps can be predictive uh, regarding situations just like this one. And we are going to be looking for, in August, which of these guys are getting the most first-team reps. Yeah, it's up in the air. We have Chris Godwin as the most talented. We have Adam Humphreys as the most experienced. And we have Cameron Brait as the most productive. So <laughs> it is very much up in the air. But I just I like to hope for the best that these teams will realize who the best players are and put their best players in positions to win. Stay tuned. Another rookie wide receiver dichotomy. Kenny Galladay versus Chad Williams. Who you got? This is such a tough one, and I've had to make this decision twice now in two separate rookie drafts. Me too. Me too. That's why I asked, <laughs> actually. I've had to ponder this exact same choice. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the quandary that I run into whenever I'm drafting, like in the early third round of a rookie draft or in the middle third round of a rookie draft. And I went with Galladay because I preferred his immediate opportunity. And I put him on a team where I think I'm more likely to need a an early contributor. But it was really close. I mean, I liked Galladay's production and athletic profiles and the situation he landed in with the Lions. But he is pretty old for a rookie. He's only three months younger than Dante Moncrief. And I think it's fair to question his long-term ceiling. 
Uh, Chad yeah. Williams, I think, might offer a, lo- a higher long-term ceiling, but there are a lot of questions about the future of the offense in Arizona. Carson Palmer showed some signs of being on his last legs last year, and he seriously considered retirement in the offseason. Um, mm-hmm. The Cardinals' offense could go in the gutter quickly, I think, if they lost Palmer. But I think that long-term opportunity is more so on Williams' side. I think that whenever Palmer leaves the scene, Larry Fitzgerald will probably go with him. And John Brown right now is in a contract year. And J.J. Nelson, although I like him like as a MFL 10 best ball league wide receiver seven, he's a 156-pound role player and he has two years left on his deal. So I think that if you want a better shot at 2017 impact while getting a pretty good prospect, I think the pick is Galladay. If you want to aim a little bit higher – but with a good chance that you're burning a roster spot for all of 2017, I think that Chad Williams is the pick. And uh, by the way, Matt, major props to you for identifying Chad Williams before the draft as a guy who was severely undervalued. Um, I remember when that, that pick came off the board in the third round, and I was like, man, Matt Kelly has been talking about this dude for a long time. He actually went to the Senior Bowl and the East-West Shrine game, but he did not go to the Combine. Right. To the Combine? What's <laughs> Isn't that weird? It's one of the weirdest phenomenon in the pre-draft process was this weird Chad Williams snub at the NFL scouting combine because at his pro day turned out, wow, this is a great athlete. Fast, with explosiveness, incredible strength, spark X score in the 90th percentile. We love Chad Williams. And it's interesting to spin this forward and think about what he could be on the Arizona Cardinals with those wide receivers around him on the depth chart falling by the wayside, either signing with other teams or retiring, he could be the number one wide receiver as early as next year. That's amazing to me. Matt, the thing about Chad Williams, though, that we're not talking about is, number one, came from an extremely small conference, small school. So potential for later breakout. Number two, this guy didn't do anything as a freshman, didn't really do anything as a, as a sophomore, minor season, came on nice as a junior and then had a good senior year. But this is a guy that's playing in a conference with teams like Prairie View A&M University and University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. I mean, I realize he's got the requisite size. He's got incredible athleticism and he landed in a great spot. But are we not talking about potentially Brian Quick part two? I mean, is this the late breakout or the never breakout? I don't want to curse him. Because Galladay isn't coming from a major school either. He's a MAC conference. No. But the problem with Chad Williams is, yeah, he's a deep dive. I don't know that I like him more than Galladay. You know, you're right. You're right. I mean, why would you draft Chad Williams when all we've seen from small school wide receivers in the past is Jerry Rice and Randy Moss and Terrell Owens and Antonio Brown. I mean, who wants to be one of those wide receivers, Nate? Well, of course, name the the four biggest of all time. I'm just not I'm not trying to throw cold water, but let's I mean- Come on, can we be honest for a second? The best wide receivers of all time all came from small schools. We're we're (laughs) crapping on guys like Kevin White for their senior year production, but at least Kevin White did it at West Virginia. He wasn't playing against Prairie View A&M University. I'm, I'm with you guys on the opportunity. Fuck Kevin White. I like Roddy White from UAB, a small school. That's fine. You can name the top small school guys of all time. That's great. Five guys. The point is... It's a lot 
more than five guys. It drives up at ADP for people. I mean, okay, if he's third round, that's totally fine because you're dart thrown in the third round anyways. And the landing spot and the opportunity are great. Carson Palmer's aging out. Fitzgerald won't be there after this year, we assume. Right, Joe Montana's aging out, right? And the, the depth chart is stacked with... It's the wrong era, Matt. With John Taylor. I mean, I'm just not sure if Jerry Rice is worth drafting in the third round of rookie drafts. So I think I have actually figured out Nate, okay? So non-Power 5 conference prospects, custodians, and job site laborers (laughs) have no chance. (laughs) Yes, that's it. That's it. He has solved Nate Liss. Oh, my gosh. Look, Galladay's a good prospect, and, and Evan made a lot of great points. He's got the physical size, and he's got a quarterback that has been known to throw to, to receivers that have that radius, that requisite size. He had five drops and 165 catchable passes over his two years at Northern Illinois, and he had two great years his junior and senior year. I realize it's the MAC conference, but the number one receiver drafted this year came out of the MAC conference. So when it's between the two, I'm with Evan. The immediate production's there, and the potential background is there for a guy that could be great going forward who else is there in detroit to play the number three wide receiver position i mean there's no one else there so that's why you love kenny galladay because he has a chance to flash in year one and then his trade value in dynasty goes up the chances that chad williams experiences a trade value surge at some point this season are lower so i agree the pick is galladay now This is the dichotomy we've been waiting for. (laughs) Drum roll, please. Quincy Anunwa or Tyreek Hill? (laughs) (laughs) The truth will be exposed. This is a question that would only be asked on a Roto Underworld podcast. (laughs) Good. Why? Why would you say that? Why is this so specific to Roto Underworld? These are the two wide receivers that have been thrust into number one wide receiver chairs in the last couple months. It's true, Evan. I think that for even as much as Matt really wants Quincy, really wants Quincy Anunua to be an X receiver, uh, we've seen that NFL coaches don't view Quincy Anunua as that kind of player, and he's going to be more of an H back slot receiver with no hope of competent quarterback play anytime soon in an organization that isn't committed to winning or making decisions that give them their best chance to win in the short term. And I mean, I say this as a Quincy Anunua dynasty league owner and I'm excited about so garbage time. And I'm excited about <laughs> Quincy Anunua's potential this year as like a wide receiver four or five flex in a deep PPR dynasty league. And, a, and in a redraft, I think that Anunua can be like a wide receiver three flex <laughs> factor uh, in PPR for however long Josh McCown lasts. But ultimately, he's a former seventh-round pick drafted by the old Jets regime with no real hope of playing in a functional passing game anytime soon. Okay, Matt, so, hold on. Yeah. Okay, I was. let me just rebuttal what you just said for one minute. Matt's making some faces. <laughs> he might be having an aneurysm right now. I'm not making any faces. My head is in my hands. Give me one chance here. It's disappointing. I, I, I don't like hearing this. I... Quincy Dunn was my guy. This is disappointing. Okay, Evan, I agree that the, the quarterback competency in New York is atrocious. 
He had 105 targets last year. He's the number one receiver there this year. Let's, hypo- let's hypothetically say that he gets 135 targets. That's a lot Based- of targets. Okay. Whoa. I'm just saying, hypothetically, 135. I don't even think I'd go there. Is that is that impossible? What? He had 105 last year. Decker's gone. There's nobody there. That's not where we have him projected, no. 135 is impossible? Is that what we're saying? 135? Why is 135 crazy? Decker's gone. There's nobody else there. Who are they throwing the ball to? They're just not throwing the ball that much, period, because they can't sustain drives. Are they going to have the ball? Yeah, that's the problem. I'm just saying. And Robbie Anderson's there. Robbie Anderson is the 1B to Anunua's 1A. I just think that he's going to get targets and he's going to be efficient with them because he looks the part of a proper X receiver. He isn't going to be efficient with his targets. I mean, that's that's something that we can we can bank on. What, what we're banking on with Quincy Anunua is his volume, his size, and his potential. You, you can't, in good faith, say that he's going to be an efficient receiver this year, Matt Kelly. I think that with Josh McCown at quarterback, he could be efficient. Without Josh McCown at quarterback, there's no chance he's efficient because he won't have that many catchable passes to work with. Okay, yeah. But if he gets some catchable passes, I believe he can be efficient. Top 20 last year in yards after the catch. Mm-hmm. I know his catch rate's been low. I know his drop rate's been high. I get it. But the contested catch rate, 80%, top 12 in the league last year. So there are some positive indicators on his profile. Plus 15.3 target premium, top 12 in the NFL last year. He was the most efficient Jets receiver last year for what that's worth. I'm surprised you guys think that 135 is so crazy. It's just a lot of targets, Nate. Even if he had an, okay, let's say he gets an uptick of 15. That's a lot of targets. This isn't A.J. Green we're talking about. Wait, 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 wait. We're, yeah, we're talking about an NFL team and the number one receiver. If he even got 15 more targets, okay, 15 more than last year, that's 120. That's still 120 targets. I mean, he's going to get the volume. The inefficiency is obviously in the catch rate and the quarterback play. I'm just saying. I'm with you. I hope he gets the volume, man. I really hope he gets the volume. The way for them to give him volume is to be losing by double digits in the second half in most games. That's how he could get up to like 120 targets. And if he can have some efficiency, then we're talking about a wide receiver three in fantasy. And that's all we want him to be. Whereas Evan's thinking, oh, maybe fringe WR4. I'm looking for him to be a locked in WR3 in fantasy. I'd be happy with that because I think that's where Tyreek Hill's going to be. I think Tyreek Hill and Quincy Anunua should be viewed as similar fantasy assets, but they're not, not even close. Tyreek Hill's ADP is a helium balloon. What do you think of that, Evan? Something I get why you don't like him. He does not check boxes for his college production resume, but to me, he did enough as a route runner based on Matt Harmon's charting as a rookie, and he did enough as a rookie year NFL producer that he has a significant edge on Anunwa as both a short and long-term real-life and fantasy prospect. Um, I think that Tyreek Hill is the type of receiver I think who can mesh with Alex Smith's short passing style as like a manufactured touch playmaker in the short term and potentially be further unlocked by Patrick Mahomes down the road. I do think there could be some merit to selling Tyreek Hill right now in a dynasty league because I would expect the, the Chiefs to prioritize adding wide receiver help in 2018 and probably grabbing a true number one wide receiver, which I do not think that Tyreek Hill is in the long term. 
But for 2017, Tyreek Hill, I think, is a strong, really, really strong bet to outscore Quincy and Nunwa, and he carries a much stronger dynasty valuation. Very strong. Yes, his dynasty valuation is first-rounder plus. That's what you have to trade to get Tyreek Hill right now. Stunning. So if you were forced to choose one of these guys, Quincy Nunwa or Tyreek Hill, to own, and then you were to trade them, you would get a lot more value in return for Tyreek Hill than Quincy Nunwa. So, again... Well, that's a way to beat the game right there, Evan. You just beat the game. And congratulations, you just found a loophole in the game. <laughs> He's finding loopholes, Nate! That's a loophole! Of course it's Tyreek Hill because of the trade value. God damn it! He broke the game. Damn Evan Silva. I think Tyreek Hill smashes uh, Quincy Nunwa in both short and long-term value. Man. Well, the wild card is Patrick Mahomes. I do love Patrick Mahomes, and I am excited to see what Patrick Mahomes can do with Tyreek Hill. I admit that. I admit that. But Tyreek Hill paired with Alex Smith, please. Please, get the fuck out of here with that. What about Quincy Inunua paired with Sam Darnold, baby? Come on. Oh, there you go. Hey. Yes. Thank you, Nate. That's Thank right. Thank you. Wow. I feel like you're galloping in. <laughs> yes. With two revolvers, you know, no hands on the horse, just just, just shooting two revolvers in all directions, defending Quincy Anunwa. Love this, Nate. Nate wins that argument. Nate lists one, Evan Silva, zero. Who's the better of the underappreciated wide receivers, Willie Sneed or Jamison Crowder? Or have we corrected their ADP in the last few months? Are they no longer underappreciated at all? I mean, I just, I want both of these guys. Yes, yes. And if that means drafting them back-to-back with Willie Sneed in the fifth and Jamison Crowder in the sixth of a redraft league, then that's what I'm willing to do. I want both of these guys. I think they're going to be PPR monsters. Monsters. Uh, both in the short and the long term. Right? I mean, they're, they're not going anywhere, these guys, right? They're not going anywhere. I had your colleague, Raymond Summerlin, on the show a couple days ago, and he speculated. Listen to this. He said this, and, and he's not prone to hyperbole. No, he's not. He's not at all. No, he's very measured. He said that he thinks Jamison Crowder has a chance to be the NFL leader in receptions this season. <laughs> right? Right? Yes. He said that. It was awesome. It was awesome. So awesome. Love it. If you're playing in MFL 10s and Jamison Crowder is not one of your highest owned receivers, I think that you are doing it wrong. I really do. He should be in your top 10 for sure. And if, if you are playing volume in best ball leagues, Jamison Crowder should be one of, he's the most, one of the most obvious targets along with Willie Sneed. I don't know how to decide between these guys. They have target hog profiles in high volume offenses. So it really is impossible to decide between the two. I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, sometimes you ask a question and you (laughs) legitimately don't know the answer. I do not know. I think Willie Sneed has a bit higher floor because there's really no number three receiver below him to challenge him for targets in that offense. But I think that Jamison Crowder's ceiling is a bit higher because I think that he will catch more passes ultimately than Willie Sneed but there's a bit more risk with Jamison Crowder because Josh Doxson's there and Jordan Reed is in the passing game so for that reason I think in a best ball league I would go Jamison Crowder actually yeah I don't know I mean I I literally have them ranked right next to each other I think I have 
it's kind of embarrassing to admit that I have Willie Sneed as the wide receiver 30 because I know he's going to smash that. I mean, I know for sure that he's going to smash that. But I have him as the wide receiver 30 and Jamison Crowder as the wide receiver 31. I have Willie Sneed at 19 and Crowder at 26. But in best ball, I think they would be essentially equivalent because of the upside that Jamison Crowder brings to the table. Jamison Crowder's only at 26 because there is this ambiguity with the target share in Washington where Willie Sneed does not have that. I mean, lock in Willie Sneed for 120 plus targets. I mean, it's going to happen. It's going to be great. It's going to be so great. I can't wait. I can't wait for the season to start. Yeah. And and last year, the Saints had two top 10 PPR wide receivers and they, they made no upgrades at tight end and their pass catching running back upgrade was a rookie you know, a low volume rookie out of Tennessee who we don't really know what to expect in year one. So Willie Snee is going to be getting a lot, he's going to be getting fed a lot of, a lot of footballs this year. Scott Barrett actually uh, mapped out slot receiver versus perimeter receiver strength of schedule for this year. Michael Thomas outside has one of the toughest schedules in the league. Uh, Willie Snead has the third easiest schedule among all slot receivers for 2017. Aha. Uh-huh. I love that stat. Thank you to Scott Barrett from Pro Football Focus for putting that together. And this is something else I talked to Ray Summerlin about. The upside of the slot flanker player in the NFL is not appreciated. They don't look the part. So the volume slot receivers are not viewed as having quote-unquote upside. And I think that's one of the great mistakes in fantasy football is not appreciating the ceilings that some of these slot receivers in the high-volume offenses bring to the table. Are there other possession-slash-slot receivers in the NFL that you believe are criminally undervalued, like a Willie Sneed, like a Jamison Crowder? Jeremy Macklin's going to be that guy this year. He's going to play about 50% of his snaps in the slot. I mean, he's just he's going to jump right into that old Steve Smith senior role uh, with the Ravens. Uh, the Ravens have led the NFL in pass attempts the last two years. I know that there is some sentiment for the Ravens to become more of a run-oriented offense this year, which I'm sure that they would like to, to be, but it's just it's not going to happen because they do not have good enough run blocking and they do not have good enough between-the-tackles grinders. Terrence West is a replacement level back. Kenneth Dixon is suspended for the first four weeks. Couldn't even become anything more than a committee back uh, sharing time with Terrence West as a rookie. And Danny Woodhead, we all know what he is. Jeremy Macklin is going to catch a ton of footballs this year. And he is maybe the single most undervalued player in fantasy at this moment. Oh, yes, I agree. I have Jeremy Macklin at number 24 on the playerprofiler.com seasonal rankings, not the dynasty rankings. That is 29 spots above his current redraft ADP on my fantasy league. Can I give you a guy that's 18 spots behind him in the Rotoviz ADP rankings? Who? Cole Beasley, wide receiver 79. That's what I'm talking about. Cole Beasley has significant upside. If the Dallas Cowboys experience more negative game script than they did last year, they will have more three receiver sets. That means Cole Beasley will be on the field more frequently, and then his target volume will spike, and his fantasy output will spike. Cole Beasley was top 10 in the NFL last season in hog rate on playerprofiler.com. That's our targets per snap metric. So when Cole Beasley's on the field... He's being targeted heavily. 
That's all you got on Cole Beasley, Nate? Yeah, if you want to talk about Cole Beasley some more, we can. I just did talk about Cole Beasley. Now you can continue to talk about him. Beasley was someone that I was looking at in best ball leagues uh, because he out-targeted Terrence Williams, including playoffs, 104-67 to last year. And both guys were relatively healthy. But Terrence Williams out-snapped him. Right. So... He Cole Beasley last year emerged as the Cowboys' clear-cut number two receiver. However, Cole Beasley has topped 75 yards in two of 72 career games. And with Des Bryant coming back healthy, for now at least, I'm not sure that Cole Beasley offers a ton of upside. Um, and then we have this hamstring injury that has been lingering since last November. So I, you know, I've been looking at Cole Beasley for sure in the 15th round and drafting him sometimes. But if I'm deciding between someone like him and J.J. Nelson, I think that I'm going to lean towards someone like J.J. Nelson um, because of the the lingering hamstring injury and because of the sheer lack of weekly, you know, weekly spikes that Cole Beasley has provided over over the past several seasons. That's the choice in the late rounds of redraft leagues. That is the choice. J.J. Nelson or Cole Beasley. Those are the two late-round wide receivers that I'm most interested in. And in Dynasty Leagues, you have to like J.J. Nelson because he's younger, and he has more upside in the event of a John Brown injury. If John Brown, who's had his own hamstring problems, can't play this year, then J.J. Nelson becomes a starter in that playing that field-stretcher role for Bruce Arians, which has essentially always been a productive role, something you can count on. So I love J.J. Nelson, especially if you have John Brown. If you're drafting John Brown in all formats and you're not just following it up immediately with J.J. Nelson, I believe you're doing it wrong. We rarely talk about handcuffing wide receivers, but if there's one wide receiver that you do want to handcuff, it's John Brown with J.J. Nelson who would replace him one for one if he gets hurt. There are very few other wide receivers around the league that you can say would be replaced one for one by a wide receiver on the bench. So we've been hearing a lot of positive reports from training camp in Miami. Every player, with the exception of Jarvis Landry, has received glowing training camp reports, and I feel like Roto World is understandably skeptical, right, of all these positive reports. Like, enough already, okay? Everyone on Miami isn't going to exceed expectations. That's ridiculous. Even Leonte Carew is getting some buzz. This is a guy that was one of the dominant receivers that we've seen at the college level. Also, an above-average athlete. And it would be great to see him land literally anywhere else, somehow, some way. I can't release him in Dynasty. I continue to have him stashed, and I am a true believer. Do you have Leonte Cruz stashed in any Dynasty league? I do not. However, I would. I was definitely in the camp that liked Carew coming out of Rutgers. The Dolphins obviously loved him. I mean... Even after using a first-round pick on Devontae Parker the year before and then trading for Kenny Stills during the offseason, they traded up to draft Carew in the third round last year. That deal actually cost them third and fourth-round picks this year. Uh, there have been whispers that Carew did not work hard enough as a rookie, and then we saw him drop 10 pounds this offseason. You know, maybe he let himself get too fat or, you know, I mean, he's, he's a young kid. You know, these, these guys make mistakes. We all made mistakes when we were young kids. I think the work ethic concerns are an obvious red flag. And there's no immediate opportunity waiting for Carew in Miami. But that could change if, as you mentioned, Jarvis Landry's deal doesn't get done. Dolphins have really seemed nonchalant 
about the fact that Landry is in his contract year. And I don't even think they've exchanged numbers about an extension yet. And then Landry's agent said their camp will not negotiate during the season. Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald said he thinks that there's only a 60% chance the Dolphins sign Landry to an extension at all. So I'm definitely giving Carew another year. Oh, wow. Wow. But, I mean, I think it's it's right to be down on Leonte Carew. But because of this uncertainty with Jarvis Landry, there is some opportunity there in the waiting. It'd be nice to see a guy like Jarvis Landry hit the open market to have something to talk about in the offseason next year. Yeah. That would be great. (laughs) I'd love to see that happen. Just to see how teams would value a player of his caliber who is a big slot receiver who has a lot of versatility i mean dude can return kickoffs and punts but he's not he does not have a great athletic profile so the teams that love spark like the um like the the seahawks you know the dolphins the chiefs that whole reggie mckenzie ted thompson tree those guys those teams would probably not look at him but it would be interesting to see how he would be valued because I, my yes. guess is that he would end up getting a contract that would not be quite as big as the pub, public would anticipate. That's right. Yeah, I think the public views Jarvis Landry different than NFL GMs and those of us that are familiar with advanced metrics value him. Now, looking at the advanced metrics on this rookie quarterback class, it's tough to pinpoint the best quarterback in the class. If you think it's Mahomes, it could be Trubisky. Maybe it's Watson if you don't care about arm strength. Do you think any of these rookie quarterbacks are going to be good? The guy that I think has the best chance to be good and is in the best situation is Patrick Mahomes. And I think he, with Andy Reid, he has a, Andy Reid has a legitimate background developing quarterbacks. There are not many coaches or front office personnel that have legitimately good backgrounds developing quarterbacks. But Andy Reid has done so with Donovan McNabb. He got the best out of Kevin Kolb and guys guys like uh, A.J. Feely, and he devised offenses that were suited to maximize the strength and minimize the weaknesses of quarterbacks with some limitations like Michael Vick and then Alex Smith and make them successful. So I think that the Chiefs are going to need to put more around Mahomes. I mean, I don't think that Tyreek Hill is a long-term number one wide receiver, uh, but I think that Mahomes is in the best situation, and because of his athleticism, arm strength, aggressiveness combination, he has the biggest fantasy ceiling in this quarterback group. Speaking of ceilings, Derrick Henry. I mean, Derrick Henry has been the most polarizing running back on football Twitter this last month. You would agree, right? No. (laughs) There you go. Well, there's been some. (laughs) I think we would agree that there has been some disagreement about Derrick Henry among the fantasy football community. Some analysts believe Derrick Henry has jumped the shark and he's become overvalued. But DeMarco Murray is owed nothing after this season. No guaranteed money after 2017. So how should we view Derrick Henry in Dynasty right now? I think that there has been more disagreement about running backs like Jordan Howard and Jay Ajayi than there has been regarding Derrick Henry. Um, you know, for, for running backs, I think you can get a lot into a lot of trouble trying to chase 
things that are going to happen years down the road. I would almost in dynasty, I would almost prefer to either go zero RB or just stack running backs. that I think have a good chance of hitting this year because running back is such a, is such a, you know, the, the, the job securities are flimsy. The NFL increasingly views them as replaceable commodities. Although we've had a small recent resurgence uh, in the opposite direction I mean, I think that Derrick Henry, like in a redraft league right now, is definitely overvalued as a six-round pick. And I get why people are aggressive drafting him, because he offers league-winning potential if something happens to DeMarco Murray. But the only scenario in which Henry gets to show that is if Murray suffers a severe multi-game injury. And DeMarco Murray, although people view long viewed him as injury-prone, he's actually played in 47 of 48 games over the past three seasons. So DeMarco Murray right. suffering a severe injury is a pretty low probability outcome, even if it's certainly something that we can conceive of or imagine. And this whole situation reminds me of when Kristen Michael and Ben Tate were overvalued as single-digit round picks who only had chances of paying off if Marshawn Lynch or Arian Foster suffered severe injuries and foster actually did suffer some injuries but tate even in those instances he never paid off as a single digit round pick i'm pretty convinced that derrick henry is really good and he's for sure a better prospect than michael and tate were but everyone was also very convinced that michael and tate at those points in time were surefire league winners if they got the opportunity Especially Ben Tate. Ben Tate, when he did get the opportunity, wasn't that great. The evaluation of Ben Tate was right up there with how people view Derrick Henry right now. I think that's the perfect parallel. The Ben Tate, Derrick Henry parallel comparison. I think it's perfect. And I think that Derrick Henry is overvalued, not just in seasonal leagues, but also in dynasty leagues for the reasons you just outlined. Because they're projecting production in 2018. Well, guess what? In 2018, you can also draft a running back in the first round like Saquon Barkley or Nick Chubb. A lot can change next year. And there's a lot of opportunities to pick up a running back this year that could be great next year or draft a running back next year as a rookie. It's a volatile, very fluid position, and it doesn't make sense to invest heavily in an asset like Derrick Henry that will likely not increase his value during the 2017 season. Which I know pains you to say, and it pains me to say, because I love Derrick Henry. Love Derrick Henry! Love Derrick Henry in a vacuum. And I just can't wait for his opportunity to come because... He's a monster, Evan! The guy's a monster! We've never seen anything like him! Oh my we, god. We see people claiming that like Leonard Fournette is more athletic than Derrick Henry, and that, that's just, that kind of shit here. just pisses me off. It's not true. I mean, it's just... First of all, it's not fucking true. Yeah. Second of all... Just wait until these people see Derrick Henry when he gets an opportunity and really wait until they see Leonard Fournette playing in the Jaguars offense behind the Jaguars offensive line. Oh, yeah, that's a long ways away from the Tennessee Titans offensive line, which could be the best in football. Not only do the Titans have one of the best offensive lines in football, but they also have a dual threat quarterback. And when Derrick Henry enters that situation and when he does get that opportunity, which I, I actually hope happens, even though I think he's severely overvalued in redraft leagues, he's going he's gonna to just destroy and people are going to be like, this is the best running back in football. It could happen, but you don't have to draft him this year in dynasty leagues. That's the point. Who you should be drafting in dynasty leagues is CJ Proceis. 
and Ty Montgomery because those are running backs who could dramatically increase their fantasy stock this season, correct? Running back is so difficult in Dynasty, you know, for the reasons that we just discussed that I really just view them on a year-to-year basis. And I can understand why people are hesitant on C.J. Procise because of the depth chart that is crowded right now in Seattle. The Seahawks have not used running backs extensively in the passing game, and that's one of C.J. Procise's strengths. And I'm not sure that that's going to change anytime soon. They've been pretty adamant publicly that they want to get back to being a run-heavy team after Russell Wilson shattered his previous uh career high for pass attempts last year. So I think that CJ Procise is a really exciting talent for his explosiveness, his playmaking ability, his versatility, but he might need two injuries this year, injuries to both Eddie Lacy and Thomas Rawls to really become a usable weekly fantasy asset. The deal is there's a lot of buzz about Eddie Lacy. The, Seattle's been a ground and pound team. When Marshawn Lynch was healthy, you saw them at their best. When the O-line still wasn't great and Doug Baldwin was emerging, Russell Wilson you know, had the confidence behind him to hand the ball off to a guy like Marshawn Lynch, and the Seahawks knew they were going to get those tough yards. We saw it a little bit with Rawls, but Rawls is a little bit sporadic as a runner. Eddie Lacy, if you look at his first two years in the league— I believe he had over 1,000 yards both seasons, 42 catches in one of those seasons. So he's a pretty accomplished receiver out of the backfield. I realize the upside of C.J. Procise, but I agree with you on the one side that they haven't used a running back like him in the past, but that's also because they haven't had a running back like C.J. Procise before. I do believe that Eddie Lacy will lead this team in carries this year, and I'm a big fan of his 2017. I still like Procise, but this is a tough backfield, and that's a great point about two injuries. I haven't ever heard it put that way, but it is potentially true. C.J. Procise may need injuries to Rawls and to Eddie Lacy to be really prominent. Oh, come on. Rawls? It's like the New England game never happened. I remember the New England game. The New England game, it's in the record books. Nate, it's in the record books. 17 carries, 7 receptions, 153 total yards, 8 evaded tackles, 22.3 fantasy points. That happened. The coaches have the tape. They know it. They know what they have in CJ Procise. He's awesome. Can I ask you a question? I agree. I love Procise, but can you tell me what happened on those 17 carries? Just out of curiosity, because I'm a Seahawks fan. I'll wait. Go ahead. What did he do? He did really well. What do you mean? No, what did, you, what, what did he do on those 17 carries? I'm just curious. Me and Evan are both curious. What did he do on those 17 carries? Please, I beg you to answer this question. I just told you. He rolled up 153 total yards. Right, but how many did he do? How many as a rusher? How many did he did he accrue as a runner? I don't have that number in front of me. I only have certain things committed to memory. Well, we'll wait. CJ Procise game log. I can't believe you're making me do this. Is it like 69 yards or something? Is it was is, is this is this the joke you're going for? Can you also please say the yards per carry after it? It's 66 yards, 3.9 yards per carry. So he got the touches. Not that great rushing. I'm just saying it's not like he put up 130 yards on the ground with the worst run blocking unit in the league. Go look at Marshawn Lynch games. How did he do with the worst run-blocking O-line in the game? 
Not as good as Thomas Rawls. Thomas Rawls led the NFL in uh, yards what... per carry in 2015. That was a different run blocking unit. Oh, it's a different oh, era. Okay. <laughs> okay. The difference between 2015 Seahawks run blocking efficiency and 2016 Seahawks run blocking efficiency was as wide as a gap as you're going to find year to year for run blocking efficiency for a single team. Matt Kelly clinging to the one game sample against his favorite team. Obviously, the only game he watched of C.J. Procise throughout 2016. <laughs> it's the only game he played in. I mean, just just kind of exposing Scorcher. himself here as, as a, a small sample chaser. I chase the small samples when it's confirming something I already believe, which is this guy's fantastic. <laughs> and all I've seen from him on an NFL field is fantastic play. That's the bottom line. He has yet to prove us wrong. So just because the team signs Eddie Lacy doesn't mean we've been proven wrong about CJ Procise. I think he can still win that job in the preseason. I think it's absolutely possible because they will realize that they have fast Arian Foster on the roster, and it would be a crime not to give him the lion's share of the opportunity. That's what I believe. I'm hoping it happens, but the realist down deep inside me believes that he will be the satellite back, he'll get a handful of carries, but he will at least lead the team in running back targets, and he will absolutely be fantasy viable in that offense. I think he can carve out a role to be a flex play, even if... Lacey is healthy, which is a big if. But this is not the case with Ty Montgomery because Ty Montgomery is not competing against any proven producers. It's wheels up for Montgomery. Right, Evan? Whereas the hesitation on C.J. Procise, I get it. You know, I get it. I think the hesitation on Ty Montgomery is harder to understand. He's the clear-cut favorite for backfield work in a top-five NFL offense. People talk about the three draft picks that the Packers use on running backs, but they don't talk about how all of those rookie running backs were selected on the third day of the draft. Now, the Packers actually have more running backs going out than coming in. They lost four backs in Eddie Lacy, James Starks, Don Jackson, Kristen Michael, even Niall Davis, if you want to throw him in there. They're missing nearly 200 carries from last season's roster. I think the number's like... 180 something it's the sixth most in the league Ty Montgomery is 220 221 pounds he's super athletic he's obviously a great receiver um, and in the divisional round against the Cowboys he played 77 percent of the Packers offensive snaps and he had about 20 touches yeah buddy and he yeah one game sample here and he was the Packers featured back in the playoffs <laughs> he needs to improve his pass protection and I think that that is so so critical for Ty Montgomery even he has publicly acknowledged that but I think he has a really really high ceiling for 2017 and I also think he has an underrated floor because I think he's going to be involved regardless. I mean, I don't think that there is a scenario where Ty Montgomery suddenly is not involved anymore. Um, even if the backfield turns into a committee, he's going to have a role. He can catch passes. He can play that uh, that side saddle role next to Aaron Rodgers in the shotgun. And, um, you know, that's a, a role that the Packers tried to uh, shoehorn Randall Cobb into. Uh, but Montgomery can definitely do that. Mm. And it's just it's going to come down to pass protection, whether or not he becomes a, uh, a full time NFL running back. But I think he's on the right track. And I, I think, you know, he has publicly spoken about how he needs to get better in pass protection. He remembers those plays last year where Aaron Rodgers would be like, send, you know, send him out, get him out of here because he's not he's not doing the right things. Um, and he knows that that's what he needs to do. 
So I think that's pretty cool. Hey, he's, he's a smart dude. He went to, he, he got into Stanford. I know he's a football player, but you have to be smart to get into Stanford. And uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Ty Montgomery this year. I would take him over Christian McCaffrey in redraft. Would you agree that Ty Montgomery is more David Johnson than he is Theo Riddick? He's 221 pounds. He used to play wide receiver. He's super athletic. Who does that sound like? Bingo! (laughs) Ding, 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 ding! David Johnson! We've been talking a lot about backfield stacking for running backs, Evan. What's your favorite backfield stack looking across the NFL? Seasonal leagues, dynasty leagues, doesn't matter. Which team are you drafting multiple running backs on? If I can get... DeMarco Murray in the second round, and I can get Derrick Henry in the eighth round, I would be willing to do that. Um, If I can get LaShawn McCoy at the end of the first round and Jonathan Williams in the 15th round, I would be willing to do that. If I can get Devonta Freeman around the first, second turn and Tevin Coleman early in the sixth round, I'd be willing to do that. And that's probably where it ends for me, although I would be open to other suggestions. I'm big into the Frank Gore, Marlon Mack stack. You are, I know. And you, you keep forgetting about Robert Turbin. This is a big, big... I know. Conveniently, right? Big blind spot here. <laughs> I know. I know. He's a big guy. He has the biggest biceps of any running back in the league. And I envision him putting me in a headlock if Frank Gore ever goes down. Nate, what about you? What's your favorite backfield stack? Well, when you're looking at ADP alone, I mean, the backfield stack feels like a redraft tactic, but we talked about it in a dynasty format, and it makes sense. Uh, You know, we talked about it last week. I did it in dynasty with a bunch of teams that I had Rob Kelly. I went ahead and drafted Samaj P. Ryan. I don't hate the idea of Terrence West and Danny Woodhead if Dixon's too expensive. That's the running back 56 and the running back 46. Both don't cost much. That that might be one of the better ones that don't come up. Dixon's just too much like we talked about last week. Forget Dixon. But I love that. I love West as the starter for the first four games of the season, as well as Danny Woodhead always having standalone value for the team that's been leading the league in pass volume, as Evan alluded to earlier. Yeah, Dixon is a major fade, man. I mean, I think he's a fade in redraft and dynasty. I think that even when he comes back, and people have such high hopes. I mean, I can't believe where he gets drafted sometimes in in MFL 10s. I mean, he will go like eighth round. You see where he's going in Dynasty? It's the same in Dynasty. Dynasty League enthusiasts believe he's the next bell cow back. It's His future is assured as the next bell cow. He's a step down from Derrick Henry. And it's like, no, 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 no. He's not a step down. He's seven steps down. He's 11 steps down. Whatever the number is, it's a lot of fucking steps. <laughs> so we had Rotoviz OG Char- Charles Kleisenkugel uh, uh, as a— Good a, name. A, as a, uh, a Roto World uh, guest writer this offseason, he wrote an article about guys who had faced suspensions. And I mean, the outlook for these guys is pretty bleak in general. And then if you look at Kenneth Dixon's rookie season, all he did was by the end of the year, and it took him a long time, he earned a timeshare with Terrence West. And Now the Ravens went out and signed Danny Woodhead to a friggin' three-year contract, which is very manageable for the team. Danny Woodhead, as long as he is healthy, is going to be super, super productive. Um, And so Danny Woodhead 
takes all of the air out of Kenneth Dixon's passing game balloon. So what Kenneth Dixon, in a best-case scenario coming back, would be would be like an early down grinder, except I'm not even sure that Kenneth Dixon is as good of an early down grinder as Terrence West. And if Terrence West starts hot, it's going to be hard for Kenneth Dixon to really eat into that early down grinder share. So Kenneth Dixon is... I think I think you got you got a bail on him right now. It doesn't make sense. It's like you said. There's there's no scenario where he's exceeding expectations because also the Ravens don't have a good run game. They're not a good running team. Horrible. That's not what they're good at. <laughs> so he has no outs. Kenneth Dixon is drawing dead on the river. The Ravens lost two of their best offensive linemen from last year, and their in-house replacements because their cap situation is so bad. Because of Joe Flacco's contract, they can't really go out and get anybody good on the O-line. They have to start James Hurst, who has been atrocious. He's a third-year undrafted free agent. Whenever he has gotten playing time, he's just gotten – he's been wrecked. He he has been just destroyed. Uh, And then at center, I don't know. I mean, they're just – you know they're 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 throwing darts, man. It's and center and right tackle are very important positions. Right tackle is a position at which you know you have to face Justin Houston, you have to face Von Miller, uh, you have to face JJ Watt, you have to face Joey Bosa. I mean, a lot of teams are putting their best. Michael Bennett. You have to put. You have to. You know, you're facing a lot of teams' best pass rushers at that right tackle spot. And then center. I mean, how many teams have we seen historically? that the, the bottom will just fall out on their offensive line play when they lose their center. Seattle. So I don't think this team is going to be able to run the football at all. Damn it. <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum in the same division, two teams that seem to be going in opposite directions, the Cleveland Browns offensive line could be a top five run blocking unit in 2017. It's conceivable. Isaiah Crowell's dynasty stock has been a rocket ship lately, and he's left Duke Johnson behind. But I still like Duke Johnson. What do you think of the Isaiah Crowell-Duke Johnson tandem in Cleveland? I just hope you're right, because last year I traded for Duke Johnson in Dynasty. And after the way that Hugh Jackson used Duke Johnson in their first year together, I came away very discouraged. It's the Isaiah Crowell show. But Duke Johnson is incredibly talented. He is. That's without dispute. Yep. It's an improving offense with one of the best run-blocking offensive lines, and Duke Johnson is one of the league's exceptional all-purpose talents. You have to believe that investing in that asset, in that situation, at his current price in Dynasty, which is double-digit rounds of a startup, is a rational move. You just have to believe that. You have to. You just have to believe that. Staying in Cleveland, David Njoku. David Njoku. David Njoku, Evan. David Njoku. Oh, God. Right? Matt knows that I love David Njoku. I know. But when you when you sit back and try to approach all these decisions, because, I mean, it's, it's a decision-making game. Life is all decision-making. And fantasy football is all decision-making. Who am I going to draft, you know? Who am I going to pr- prioritize? Who am I going to bank on long term? Who who do I think can have a big 2017 season? I think that David Njoku is worth a first round dynasty rookie pick to the extent that any tight end is worth a first round dynasty rookie pick. I mean, tight ends have diminished value in dynasty leagues. I realize that you can start more flex players in dynasty leagues 
than in standard redraft leagues. That is the case in all of my dynasty leagues. But you usually want to start running backs and wide receivers in those flex spots because simply because they score more fantasy points. And, I mean, I love David Njoku, and he's my number one dynasty and redraft tight end in this rookie class. But at best, I think he's a fringe first-rounder in a dynasty rookie draft. I mean, I, I, you know, the bottom line for me is that I love David Njoku. And I think he is absolutely an NFL player. I think he's an underrated blocker. I think his after catch, you guys have made the comparison uh, to Travis Kelsey. And I think that is so fucking spot on. However, uh, he's still a tight end and he's still dependent upon the offensive scheme. He's still dependent upon uh, quarterback play. And, uh, you know, tight ends just, I mean, they're, they're never going to be the focal point, the true focal point of an NFL passing game. And so I don't know if he's truly worth a first round dynasty rookie pick, but with that said, you know, I would take him over OJ Howard and Evan Ingram in a heartbeat. We love David Njoku. We love the athleticism. Runs a 4.64, 132.1 burst score, which combines the vertical jump, the broad jump, into one equally weighted metric. 97th percentile burst, 10.30 catch radius, 92nd percentile. So he has it all athleticism-wise, and then he was an incredible producer at Miami. He led the Miami Hurricanes in receiving yards per game. He was their number one receiver. It's incredible. You tweeted about David Njoku's yards after the catch per reception. What was it again, Evan? (laughs) So take a second so that you can ingest this, okay? David Njoku, every time he caught the football, he averaged 11.2 yards after the catch. (laughs) Right? Yeah. It's ridiculous. That's a real stat. It's a real stat. It's a mind-boggling statistic. I love mind-boggling statistics. And I spoke with someone who met David Njoku in person, IRL, and (laughs) that person (laughs) said one thing to me. said, get David Njoku on your fantasy team. Yep. He was the most impressive person that I stood next to on the entire Cleveland Browns roster, offensive lineman, defensive lineman, Miles Garrett, doesn't matter. The most impressive athlete who just had a presence and a swagger where you looked at him and said, oh, that's the guy. That's the alpha dog in this locker room. It was David Njoku. And on the New York Jets, that player must be Quincy Inunua. Would you agree, Nate? Yeah, I totally agree. In rebuttal to your takes on Quincy and Nunwa, which are way off base. <laughs> yes! <laughs> it's obvious to me that Evan Silva hates Quincy, but the reality is he's a guy who can win Quincy. leagues. This is just a fact that you can't startle. Now just imagine his value once he's paired with Sam Darnold. Quincy and Unwa, Quincy and Unwa, Quincy and Unwa, Quincy and Unwa. At 6'2", 225, he can really run. Attacking today, arrows blood out the sun. Number one receiver, not a guy you want to fade. Good said the Spartan King, will fight in the shade. Now it's obvious to me Evan Silva hates Quincy, but he's the type of guy who can go and help you win leagues. 
those 130 targets, that was me trying to spin things. So Evan, don't die on Tyreek Hill for not listening. Because anyone who listens as avidly as you say you do knows that Matt Kelly will support a hot take or two. And I know that Quincy looks a little fake to you, but what's he look like with Sam Darnold in 2018, foo? And then what? shots than I normally try to but you know it's Evan Silva man people want to hear what he has to say so try and get out of the key give him space to drive the lane I don't want to I don't want to trip him up he's the 100 million dollar man I appreciate Evan because Evan would take my side and turn on you a little bit which hasn't happened with any of the guests on this show yet and I started to talk and then Evan started to talk and you did that thing with your hand like you shooed me off and me and Evan just start cracking up you'll probably hear it yeah it was a good show dude that was so much content Evan's a smart dude, man. Yeah, he's wrong about Quincy and Inwa, but... I know. He's he's super dialed, though. He is really dialed. He is wrong about an Inwa, though. <laughs> I, I agree. I think he is wrong about an Inwa. An Inwa and Hill is very close. And anyone that thinks there's just this wide chasm between Hill and an Inwa is wrong. Evan didn't even say that. He basically said that Hill has more trade value right now, which is true. But if we're being real, Inunua probably should outscore Hill because Hill is a gadget player. Yeah, I mean, they're not far apart, those two guys. And Inunua's going to have, I think he's going to have the volume this year. You know less than 15 wide receivers had 140 targets last year. Yeah, I know it's not many. I'm just saying he's the only receiver on that roster. I, I realize Robbie Anderson was okay, but why is 135 so crazy? That's why when you said 140 targets, like I did the math in my head and I was like, oh shit, that's like a top 15 targets. But all those guys had competition. I'm just saying this is a team. Dude, hey, listen, you're pro Inunua. I love this take. Trust me. I'm not arguing. I love this. I'm just explaining to you what you're saying. I love Inunua and I want it to happen. Let's make it happen. Well, Evan doesn't think it's going to happen. Yeah, well, that's fine. <laughs> David and Joke. David and Joke. David and Joku, Evan. David and Joku. Galloping in, yes, with two revolvers. You know, no hands on the horse. Just, just, just shooting two revolvers in all directions. Nate List one. Evan Silva zero. I had your colleague Raymond Suther Sum Summerland. Sorry, Summerland. I had your colleague Raymond Suther. I can't. Wow, that's a weird. That's a weird tick that I have in my my speech here. Wait, we can't use any of that for outtakes. You know. You know. At this point, like now, I know why you get frustrated, Matt, with Nate. You know. Thank you. It makes a lot more sense now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
God, yes! It's maddening! He was supposed to do a rap. He failed to practice the rap. He has no rap prepared. That was his only job for this entire show, was to have a rap prepared. He had one job. You had one job. One job! Typical week in and week out, I have one job and I don't do it. That's what over makes this show great. Over and over and over again. <laughs> Nateless is an expert at underperforming expectations. I'm gonna kick this thing off and we're gonna make this happen. I'm, I'm ready to do this. He has no outs. I mean, he's drawing dead on the river. And it's like, no, 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 no. He's not a step down. He's seven steps down. He's 11 steps down. Whatever the number is, it's a lot of fucking steps. You know, Ben Albright, I think he does good work. I think he has some really good data on quarterbacks that Nate probably likes. But he's never been someone that we've used as a source for player news blurbs on Rotoworld. Right, you don't use local radio blowhards as source material for Roto World blurbs, and I would agree with that, but if it's negative sentiments about C.J. Anderson, then I want them shared with the world. <laughs> That's the problem. Is there anyone in this Denver backfield we should be excited about, Evan? Uh, no. We've actually done a couple shows where we, we really didn't talk as much football as we probably should have, and people want football talk, man. And whenever we have the guest on, we dial it right into football, like we with Jacob Rickroad. When Carl came on, that's the episode we had Jeremy McNichols on, and so Carl just bounced. He was gone. I really hope McNichols is good, just for my own sanity. He's going to get cut, by the way. You think he's going to get cut? Dirk Cutter, like, publicly suggested that he's not, you know, he's not a guy that he's looking at that is, like, a lot to make of the team. It's that Boise State system, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that sucks, dude. No, I mean, hey, you know, it, it, it's a problem for him that he delayed that shoulder surgery until after the combine because that he didn't participate in rookie minicamp. He didn't participate in OTAs or the actual minicamp. And now we don't even know if he's going to be ready for the start of camp. You know, and I don't have you ever seen like Dirt Cutter talk? No. He's like a fucking old school football dude and i mean he was like can't make the club in the tub you know like that 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 <laughs> sort of fucking mentality i wonder what he would say about andrew luck missing all this time with a shoulder injury well i mean obviously it's a different situation with you know a franchise quarterback as opposed to a, a, a fifth string running back who's who's competing with peyton barber for the final uh, spot on the team i know evan i know if he can't beat out Peyton Barber, I give up. I quit. Who do I send my resignation letter to? <laughs> I don't. I was surprised that people were saying that it was a good landing spot for McNichols. Uh, just because that RB depth chart can hollow out in a year. There's never an ideal landing spot for these guys. For a late round running back, there's never a good spot. Even for early round running back, look what happened to Derrick Henry. I mean what happened with Ezekiel Elliott last year, that back going to that team, you just don't see that. The elite top 10 back typically goes to a bad offense, Jaguars, Rams. But for some reason, the Dallas Cowboys, because they had the quarterback injury the previous year, they had a top five pick. So you had a good team with a top five pick. That's very rare. Then they use it on a running back. I mean, that's wheels up if I've ever seen it. Man, 
think if they used it on Jalen Ramsey and Derrick Henry, I mean, just everyone would think of things so much differently. Ezekiel Elliott goes to a team that doesn't have that line, doesn't have that offensive efficiency. He's not viewed the same, understandably. I mean, look at Todd Gurley, what he's facing now. You know who Zeke Elliott was popularly uh, mocked to last year, I think, was the fucking Jets. I remember that. That's right. So many had him mocked to the Jets and the Dolphins. If he had gone to the Dolphins, no one would be talking about fucking Jay Ajayi today. Yeah, the sliding doors concept is, yeah, I love thinking about that because the Cowboys, I think they would have beaten the Packers if they had Jalen Ramsey and then probably lost to the Falcons. Yeah, maybe. My heart beats out of my chest with the thought of Taewon Taylor, and yet, and yet, still, nowhere to be found on the redraft ranking. Sorry, Taewon! Love you, buddy. I don't actually listen to what Nate List says on the shows. <laughs> Evan, come on! Buck's coaching staff doesn't <laughs> agree with Matt Kelly. Why would you draft Chad Williams when all we've seen from small school wide receivers in the past is Jerry Rice and Randy Moss and Terrell Owens and Antonio Brown? I mean, who wants to be one of those wide receivers, Nate? I mean, I'm just not sure if Jerry Rice is worth drafting in the third round of rookie drafts. So I think I have actually figured out Nate, okay? So non-Power 5 conference prospects, custodians, and job site laborers <laughs> have no chance. The truth will be exposed. This is a question that would only be asked on a Roto Underworld podcast. That's a loophole! Of course it's Tyree Kill because of the trade value. God damn it, he broke the game. Derrick Henry has been the most polarizing running back on football Twitter this last month. You would agree, right? No. He's 221 pounds. He used to play wide receiver. He's super athletic. Who does that sound like? Damn. That's it? I can't mean you can't give me the right more than four bars in three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Ungrateful. Oh, shit. I, I didn't want it to... Well, don't edit out my, like... By the way, Evan, if you like those instrumentals, those are those are my beats, man. Right there. Those are those are custom instrumentals just for the show. I'm out there hustling in the streets. Is that really you? You did that? Yeah, those are custom. Those are mine. No, I thought you found them somewhere in some... No! No, bro. Those are all me. Wow. I can't believe I'm just finding this out on episode 41. Well, you know, bro, I'm just trying to change the game out there for the people. <laughs> hustling beats and hustling rhymes. That's actually your music. I did not know that. I'm such an idiot. <laughs> hustling beats and hustling rhymes. Inadvertently, apparently shitting on custodians and anybody else that's non-union. You're a non-union blue-collar worker. You are not on Nate Litz's good side. Steam coming out from under the collar right now just thinking about it. Oh, God, don't break it out. All right. Oh, man, it feels so rushed. All right, here we go. Don't rush it. I'm reclining in this chair. It's like, dude, for me, like, this is this is just like a walk in the park. And I just I can't have you tilting. Come on. Just I'm not tilting. We're good. This is Evan Silver here. I'm going to wipe the sweat from my brow. All right. 
now it's obvious to me oh no. now it's okay no oh, no. We'll, no hold on i got it's dude this is just a weird situation now it's obvious to me no you're all laughing right. Stop. okay all right all right this is a question that would only be asked on a roto underworld podcast And then what?